Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samit from Guidehouse Insights. Welcome to episode 169. Uh, we're going to jump into what we're driving so, uh, Rebecca, what are you driving? <laughs> so I had the 2020 Lexus RX 450HL, which basically means it's the, uh, you know, really the iconic uh, Lexus RX, but this one has the hybrid engine in it, and it also has uh, three rows. So my particular version was a six passenger. I believe it's also available as a seven passenger, uh, like most three rows. Se- seven in quotes. Seven in quotes, or six, exactly. For that matter, it, yes. those are the grandkids' seats because yeah, that's exactly. the demo who buys these. <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. And so this one has a 3.5 liter engine, 308 horsepower V6 engine. I, it's you know it's got the hybrid drive, which is good. It has a CBT, which is you know the typical kind of whiny ones. Um, this had all wheel drive in it. You know, one of the things that first struck me is just it was such a the it has this gorgeous deep a nori green color that's absolutely beautiful especially here in new england against the fall colors so you know it's still a, it's still a really nice looking vehicle i the design of it is it's i can't say it's timeless but it is i think they've done a nice job on you know keeping that look it's kind of well they've kept it in production long enough that it <laughs> yeah. will eventually be yeah. timeless <laughs> <laughs> now it's, just just, it's, it's been around a long time hasn't I'm it i'm trying like, to be nice here yeah. <laughs> well this one actually had like nine thousand miles on it which is forever in you know the media press fleet so yeah this one's been been in, uh, on the road for a while but i actually like that because then it's kind of broken in a little bit and yeah. and you know it's a little bit more realistic as we always try try and do because sometimes our experiences are not as realistic because the cars are brand new that we're getting so you know overall as typical lexus it's safe it's secure it's reliable it's not particularly exciting, which always calls. So you're saying this isn't an LC? Well, it always calls to mind the <laughs> LC 500 because, you know, that car is what they can do. But of course, this is a, well, it's, I was going to say it's a very different buyer, but is it really? Because I think that, you know, this is, this is what, you know, this vehicle kind of made Lexus and, but they've, they've got to look at evolution because as we've spoken about before, there is there are new buyers in the marketplace. The baby boomers are no longer dominating. And, you know, to that point, it was my mom's birthday, November 4th. Happy birthday, Phyllis. And hey, Scorpios. So I know. Excellent. <laughs> and Fellow Scorpios. So, and she's so cute. My mom's a riot. So we got her out, uh, which doesn't happen very often because uh, she lives with my sister and there's four pretty intimidating steps or five steps for her to get outside. So it can be tricky for her because her mobility isn't as good as it used to be. But 
the one thing I knew was that she was going to be get, able to get in and out of this vehicle with absolutely no problem. And that proved, proved to be true. And that is one thing that is very appealing about this, you know, that you can always rely upon the Lexus RX to be an easy ingress and egress. And so it's a vehicle that's easy to live with. It does a lot of things well. It is not the most exciting vehicle on the road today, but it's not intended to be. And that's not what this buyer is looking for. So I will say I was a little disappointed uh, because it is a hybrid, as I mentioned, the fuel economy is rated for 29 city, 28 highway, 29 combined. I got 25.5, which I was a little disappointed about. And I was trying well, to you think are back. A lead foot. Well, I was trying to think <laughs> back on, you know, I, I mean, I actually did quite a bit of Highway driving, but I also did quite a bit of in-town driving. My my average uh, my average miles per hour was only twenty one, so I wasn't that much of a lead foot. <laughs> so you know, it was kind of disappointing. I would have certainly expected to be higher up, especially uh, because this model starts at fifty six thousand, and then it's got all sorts of fun, good things to it that brings it. Does it start at 56 because the, um, is that the long wheelbase that makes it? I think it's both the hybrid and the long wheelbase. Yeah. Because I I think you can get the shorter one for for less. Yes. Actually, for for what it's worth, I think the wheelbase is actually the same on both. It's just the body that's longer. You're right. The oh. wheelbase is, is the same, and then they've they've made the body longer. Yes. So they've taken oh. down, um, I think, but you're right. I mean, the, the RX 450 starts at about 50. Right. But the actual, so they, they've taken, as I mentioned, because this vehicle's been in the fleet for a while, Lexus only has the 2021 up on their site now. Uh, but uh, just looking at cars.com, they have it that, there, it's actually only a six seat, which I'm not sure if that's the only way that it's available for the hybrid, but it's got captain's chairs in the middle. Yeah. And then, and so it's got captain's chairs in the middle and then two seats in the back. And and also keep in mind, you know, if you're ever wondering how many, uh, if you're car shopping, just look at the number of seat belts because that will, that will really tell you how many people can, you can fit. So if you're looking at a three-row vehicle, count the seatbelts. Well, be- it, it'll tell you nominally how many you can fit. I mean, how many <laughs> well, actual human beings you can put in there is an entirely different scenario. So I know a lot that, of people that LC who are not has, actual human beings, though. So. That, that LC has two <laughs> seatbelts in the back as well. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to try to put somebody in there. <laughs> Of course not. But my point is that sometimes they have a cup holder in the middle. And okay. so like the back in the third row of this, there are cup holders and armrests. Like it's distinctly not designed. You're never going to put three people in there. And, but you can just glance real quick and say, is that cup holder, are they permanent? Are they in place? Or does it actually have three seat belts? That's my point. It's just a quick yeah. look. No, that's, that's a, a good tip. point. <laughs> just a little tip. So, you know, Again, this thing is fully loaded. It's got heated and cooled seats. It's got all sorts of good things to it. All sorts of safety features, of, of course. Uh, this one was uh, dolled up with a, um, a, th- a $3,000 uh, navigation system, which, which again was, you know, one of the things, so, so Sam and I were talking about this before we went on the air. So Lexus added Android Auto and Apple CarPlay for 2020, but I could have sworn that 
I could not get Android Auto to work in this vehicle. And frankly, I didn't try very hard because a lot of Lexus and, and Toyota didn't have Android Auto available. But then when I was doing more research and looking at it, it was actually supposed to be available. But just Sam and I were talking, it looks like some, it, it might say it, but it's not always the case. So, you know, I think these are pre-production or, or at least early, potentially you know, early runs on the model year. So even though it's on the Mulroney, I wasn't able to use it. But they they also added a touch screen and they changed they moved the the screen a little bit closer to the driver. One of the things that I did sort of like that was kind of charming on it was these breadcrumbs and I'll send a picture so you guys can see. But it would show where you had driven that in that trip, and it was really kind of charming. And then also it, it would show if you had driven that in a previous trip, which is kind of fun because then you don't always have to rely on GPS if you're going someplace that maybe you had been before but couldn't quite remember, or like just for tracking, like I had to, I had to run to three different places. Oh, it was the post office actually. It turns out that my local post office takes a lunch break, which I did not know but the another post office nearby does not take a lunch break. So my breadcrumbs were, I was going a mile and a half to my local post office, that was closed. Then I had to go three miles the other direction to go to the, a different post office. And then I had to circle back around because I had to go someplace else. And it was kind of funny to see like all these, the whole incredibly inefficient trip that I had just made <laughs> driving yeah. around trying to find it's a post a, office. It's like um, uh, Family Circus, right? When when it yes. goes all over the neighborhood. <laughs> um, I think uh, red breadcrumbs, I forgot about breadcrumbs. That was like oh, oh, back in the, the early days of NAV too, they used to have breadcrumbs all um, was like enabled on all the cars. I remember that. So I, f I forgot that that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually it's, it's, it, and it's, it's actually back for um, the new Ford Bronco. Yeah. And this is actually one of the features they tout on the Bronco is, you know, being able to record where you go, you know, because when you're off-roading with a vehicle like that, right. a lot of times you may be places where there is no information on the maps. So well, that's like, what is that, can, like Dead Reckoning too? So it, it or, uh, or is it still GPS? And well, it's still using, it's still using GPS. I mean, when you're out in the open, you know, it's easy to get a GPS signal, but, you yeah. know, you may be on some place that isn't mapped. Um, and so you can, you know, or taking a particular trail that you want to share. So you can actually record and save those and you can upload those breadcrumbs back to the site that they're, they're going to have, uh, for Bronco owners. Uh, and then other, other people can download the same route and follow that same trail hmm. if they want. Oh, clever. I love that. That yeah. requires yeah. having friends. I <laughs> Well, they don't I have like, to be friends. They just I have like to be other off. people that own Broncos. I want to go off-road to get the hell away from people, not to tell them where I'm going. <laughs> I was going to say, you actually have to like people then. Yeah, right? Uh, so or, back... or you can tell them, you can show them a map that goes right off a cliff. <laughs> I'm sorry. Back to the Lexus RX <laughs> So I have a question, HL. actually. Um, yes. So how was the interior in that? Because the RX has consistently been one of the sort of least impressive Lexuses to me. I understand why it exists, and it's a it's a good fit for the market. But it, it just feels um, – it feels like some of the materials and design – are are way out of date now but i haven't been in one in, in a little bit so have it's, they improved it or is it okay or it's funny that you should say that because i just pulled up my pictures because i wanted to comment that they mm. i think they actually did a really nice job on the interior okay i the i like i love actually the 
in the center console, uh, they have a, a shiny finish, but it's actually pinstriped, which was really cute. So this, this has a, a brown, uh, a brown and tan combination, mostly mostly a nice chocolate brown with some tan accents, and then um, really actually really lovely top stitching uh, to it. And the seats were, you know, again they were heated and cooled, so they had the perforation to it, but they were very comfortable. There was nice bolstering, and I, you know, and again I think that they overall they did a nice job in the captain's chairs in the center row. They have these little pop out. Uh, uh, cup holders, which uh, to me just spell breakage, but that's the only way that they could get cup holders where, there. Where are there? Are they down like in the side of the seat? Yeah. Yes. I have, I have a picture of it. So they're like, yeah. they're like, they basically put like Sienna seats in this thing. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like the second that's, that's, that's very likely well, exactly what they are. Yeah. At least but the structure not, is. They're not the, uh, the Ottoman, you know, the brand yeah. new Sienna no, that no, I just no, had. No, the old Sienna. Right, the old Sienna. But they're, but they're fine. They're nice. I mean, I thought the interior was well done. You know, again, though, what, what this brand is facing and what this, this particular model is facing are things like the Genesis GB80 that I was in that is spectacular for, you know, about the same price point. So right. to your point, Dan, while this interior is lovely and it was totally fine and it was, it certainly had the kind of a luxury feel to it. And, and again, the color combination was very warm, but man, the competition, you know, this vehicle came out like 17 years ago. And <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I was just the looking RX, up. I actually, mean the RX. Yeah, it, it's, yeah the, the current generation actually came out exactly five years ago this month in, in November, 2015, it launched. Wow, so that's the so, thing though. It always, even when it was new, um, it- It felt old. Yeah, it felt old. So, and I, I know that economically we were in kind of a different place when it when it came out and-, and um, in the last five years, interiors have gotten much, much better. Uh, there was there was sort of some hangover. Well, five years ago now was 2015. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. Th yeah. This this should have. I mean, but again, I don't think the interior is a knock on it at all. I think it's actually quite nice. So, I I don't have any issues with the interior. Yeah, it's I, been a while for me. I just I, you yeah, know I, mean, I, I I had an RX earlier this year, and you know it's. You know, I've, I've never really had a complaint about the materials and the fit and finish. I had some issues with the kind of the design and the layout, uh, particularly the touchpad. But yeah. you know, the the you know the I I never saw the the fit and finish as an issue. Yeah, I think mostly it was materials, and some of it can be you know like like we've talked about the uh, the way they're chosen to put in the fleet, right? If you send me a car that's a luxury car and the interior is black and gray. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not going to be terribly impressive. <laughs> yes. Like, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think, so I, I think that the, the interior is, is, I think it's actually very nice. I, I, and I love this color combination. I mean, I yeah. love that sort of warm, cozy feel. Yeah. And I, Lexus does do they, when they do it, they do a nice luxury interior. So, they do. You know. I think oh, it's yeah. very nice. I mean, I'm again, I'll, I'll link to some pictures and such, but I, but the competition, that's that's really the problem that I see for this vehicle is there is so much competition out there that, you know, is it really something special anymore? I don't know. There is a lot of room 
in the back with the back seats, the third row folded down, you know, because it has a longer wheelbase that I will tell you, you know, if no, actually the wheelbase is the same. I'm sorry, a longer body, it's, a longer yeah, body. See, four, I four guys inches. all screwed up. I it's, know. It's, it's, four, it's four and a half inches longer. I, I was looking yeah, so it the up body, while you were talking. Yeah. The body is longer. So I will say that if you're in a position where, you know, you primarily just carry two people in the second row. So if most of the time you have four people in your vehicle, then, and you want some extra storage with the, with the possibility of using a third row if needed, I would probably spring for the L. If you, you know, if you never carry more than four people and you don't need more storage, then just go for the regular length. But that the L does give you more, uh, more versatility to it because those, that third row folds totally flat too. So, so you if, know, there's, if you if you like to go to estate sales and stuff like that or antique shops, you know, yes, and you need that extra bit of cargo space back there, or even even road tripping, you know, if you're going on a road exactly. trip, you know, having some extra room, especially if you've got a couple of kids, yes, um, you know, younger kids, you know, put the kids in the second row, and you know, when you've got young kids, there's always a whole bunch of additional stuff that you have to take wherever <laughs> you go nice catch yeah it's not the word i use for it but uh, uh it's the, the thing though like and this is one of those sort of uh problems that we have not not just with the rx it's just with sort of these these middleweight uh three rows is that third row is always going to be kind of tight absolutely um, and because they've done the captain's chairs so the it's more comfortable in in the second row. So day to day, it's probably more comfortable and it's more comfortable for how most people are going to use it. But it, it's actually, it, it's only one more person than uh, uh, sort of a, a two row RX, right? Because the two yeah. row RX is going to have a bench in the back. So you get five, five people. This is six people. They may be that, that extra couple, you know, the extra uh, folks in the third row might be a little more comfortable than um, a three across uh, right. situation, but I, you know, I guess I don't know. Uh, I'd have to try it because um, I am fun size, so I fit in those third rows. <laughs> well, um, but but legroom and stuff might be different. You so. know, to, I mean, early on, uh, Rebecca, you you called the third row, you know, for the for the grandkids, but you know, the the issue with that is, you know, it's small enough. I think that you know only younger grandkids are going to fit comfortably back there. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, so teenagers are not going to be comfortable in that third row, but those younger kids, you know, they need to be in booster seats. So if you've got to get get them, you know, get young kids into booster seats in that third row, yeah, you know, kind of defeats the purpose. You know, it, no, you're right because, and again, looking at my pictures, I with the if if you have a good sized person in the passenger or driver's seats. Those seats are back. And then that second row, even there, you it's tight. I mean, putting the putting the second row in a in a position where the third row isn't right back the back seat isn't right back up against the third row. So you it's definitely a juggling situation and, and you're not fitting a basketball team in here. You know, yeah. it, it it's tight for sure. Do, do they have latch anchors on the third row? Oh, you know what? They, they probably do, but that's um you know, that's, that's one of the, the things that I right. ran into on some cars is, you know, some, a lot of cars, uh, at least back when I was using latch anchors, um, for the kids 
A lot of cars only had two across in the in the back seat. Some cars were wide enough to do three across, um, but not not most. So yeah, I'll look it up and see. That's a good question. Yeah, um, hey, for for what it's worth, you know, as we said, this car is in the fifth year of its product life cycle. I would guess twenty twenty one is probably going to be the last year. I think by this time next year, we will probably see a new generation RX, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if you know because really this you know this three-row version was kind of an afterthought for Lexus. It was not there. Yes. It came in mid, mid-cycle, <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if they do a proper three-row crossover next year. Because, uh, in fact, you know, they've shown, uh, you know, I think last year or the year before, they had a, con- a three-row crossover concept. I forget what it was called. But I, I would be shocked if we don't see Lexus do a proper three-row crossover you know closer in size to something like the gv80 or you know the audi q7 you know or something like that that you know that that actually fits you know people in that third row you know or you know the cadillac xt6 is another good example um and and then you know have have the standard two row and then something with a longer wheelbase to accommodate that third that third row of seats Yes, I agree. I think, but you know, again, I just and looking at, I mean, there's there's plenty of of different versions of this vehicle. It does start at about forty five thousand. Sorry, it just went away. Um, I touched my screen and it. Yeah, it, I think you're right. Like yeah. forty six. Um, uh, like yeah, forty five, forty five oh seven oh for the RX three fifty, uh, and that. That is the original. That's the that's the original. Uh, it's it's past, original recipe. Size. So. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you know, I th- I think overall, I mean, overall, the car is very good. There's you know, you've got a Lexus in there. It's going to keep its value. It's going to behave. It's going to do a lot of things really well. Uh, but the challenge is that there are really good choices out there, and and that that to me, I mean, it's. It's no longer just sort of rinse and repeat of buy an RX and then buy another one and then another one. There's so many good vehicles out there in this class that it's definitely facing a lot of competition. But you're not going to be unhappy with it. You know, it's I, I think it's if you love Lexus and this is the brand for you and the dealership's convenient and the you know and all that all the service is convenient, then by all means you're never gonna go wrong buying this vehicle. But there are more exciting opportunities and and, and choices out there, I think. So I knowing what you know, you just had the um the new Sienna uh, a little while ago, right? And you've yes. had the the revised uh Highlander and I, I think you had, did you try the Venza too? I did try the Venza and I don't know if I've yeah. spoken about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that little Venza. <laughs> so um, I, I think that's where Toyota and Lexus are headed. Um, yeah, I know I realize I just picked out three Toyota models, but uh, looking at the improvements from those, uh, you know, does that sort of portend well for for the RX when they? Because I think Sam's right. I think that this this one is like the, no more updates unless we absolutely have to. We're, we're coming out with a new one, yeah. <laughs> super soon. I, I think really, I think the biggest challenge for the Lexus brand is demographics. They they're they are the brand of baby boomers, and baby boomers are getting older. And I, again, I mean, it's one of the reasons I brought up my mom was because 
this was something that she could very comfortably get in and out of. And so, you know, if she was 10 years younger and still driving, I would, I would, you know, put her in something like this. Um, the NX is another good option, I think, for people that maybe want a little bit smaller vehicle. But I feel like the biggest challenge for Lexus is simply uh, staying relevant to younger consumers. You know, they've never really pitched to Gen X, and and millennials grew up in them. So they're so, you know, it's on some level, it's sort of the Buick of the millennials. So yeah, yeah, you know, so and. So I think that's their biggest challenge, really. As we've talked about before, the you know the cars are good; they make a good product, um, but it's just the brand. The brand itself has not been able to evolve to include younger cohorts. And I think that's one of their biggest challenges. I'm sure they're working on it. it would be, I'd be really uh, curious to see where they think they might go because, uh, yeah, absolutely, as a, a member of of gen x uh i'm not buying a lexus unless it's like an original first couple generations ls 400 you know yeah. or uh you know if i were interested in the rx because i think the rx like the rx really defined its category 20 years ago absolutely that first rx was a touchstone absolutely i'd, I'd go for one of those and so there's a couple of reasons why right like i, I don't have the disposable income to drop forty eight thousand dollars <laughs> on uh, or fifty six thousand dollars, you know, on a, a three row crossover from dropping that kind of money. Um, it's it's got to be, and it's that's a pretty versatile car. But um, I I need two cars for that money, not one. Um, well, but but even if you did, even if you did have the disposable income, it, well, that you, wouldn't be the one I picked. That's well, not. right, that's the challenge, right? Yeah. Is that you know when you think about and I, and I know we talk about it a lot, but for good reason, the Hyundai Palisade. The, the Kia Telluride, you know, those kinds of vehicles, you're getting that third row with a lot of comfort for about the same price. Yep. You know, and it, and, and actually, a very premium feeling interior as well. And an right. incredibly premium feeling. I, and actually, I would say it's about ten. As- I'd say they're $10, as good or better. Less. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, for $10,000 less. But so that's, that's where the re- brand reputation comes in. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's definitely something that Lexus has locked up and that's very important. Um, and it, it probably helps him now, but uh, you know, it's funny, like too, I, I've seen uh, enough chatter among weird car Twitter to say like Lexus might want to consider a version of the Sienna. But then I, I realized that that's just, that's a very small subset of us making noise. It's not, <laughs> nobody's going to buy it, but it, like what vehicle type are they going to go for? next because i i do think that they're they're while right now crossovers seem to be you know crossovers and suvs seem to be still continually popular um you got to look five years out and and see what what it's going to be and it, it there may be some shift especially as lifestyles have have certainly changed in the last nine months right so uh, yeah but if they're if they're looking to do like a hatch, a, a sedan or something, the Lexus sedans are fantastic. Yeah, I don't know that we go back to sedans. I mean, I think I, I think people like the utility of of crossovers, and and I don't I don't know where we actually where where we wind up with that. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, because they've got you know they've got the UX at thirty two thousand. I mean, they they have filled in you know, and and the GX and LX they have filled in the SUV market, so you can get these types of vehicles. I I think a lot of it is the marketing. 
Yeah. I think well, that that's the, true. That's, you know, that's definitely not. Uh, and and when you talk about the brand reputation, I mean, the resale value, you know, one of the challenges that Hyundai and Kia are facing is resale value because, you know, it, it, they do have to continue to to build their brand, but they're they're starting in the right place with the product. With Lexus, the product is there, but they have got to become more relevant and and figure out a way to to get into these younger younger demographics. And when I say younger, you know, keep in mind that like the oldest millennial is coming into 45. They're going to be 50 in five years. So we're not talking about kids that are living in their basement anymore. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, you're I out of the basement. That's, that's the, uh, the sort of fallacy is that, um, you know, as a, a lot of folks, you know, 20 years ago gets frozen in time at a certain point. Yeah. So for a lot of people, 20 years ago is 1980. And like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> Exactly. That's, that's not the case. Um, yeah, so it, they it's it's hard to understand sort of I guess how to reach uh, the the sort of oncoming generations. And you know, you, you when you built your brand on boomers, um, you need to replace boomers as your customer. And uh, the only generation that's that large is actually probably what Gen Z. That's so after the millennials. Like- no, the millennials. The millennials. The original definition of the millennials was actually the same size, just about the same, same size? size as yeah. baby boomers. So they each had about eighty million people. Right. It covers a lot of yeah. ground. That's a lot it of does. different. And you know, there's there's within it, there's probably stratifications as well. But of course, um, you know, just. Should, like offer some like uh, college loan assistance or something. Put money in the trunk. <laughs> Is um, it a junk in the trunk? Um. But, yeah. but I mean, really, like that's that's another. That, so we're not going to solve this on the podcast. But like looking at the other challenges that uh, you know oncoming generations have is uh, they just don't don't have the disposable income. They don't they don't have the um, the credit. Uh, to that the, the the baby boom had sort of available to it so it, there's a lot of stuff going on clearly uh, that there makes is, it very challenging is. to sell cars I, well no there is i mean and i think that you know what their priorities are are different as well because keep in mind we can't forget that only about five percent of americans buy a new car every you know in that every year we're selling, you know, 15 to 16 million. So we're not talking about the general audience here. And, you know, so when we think about the new car buyer, keeping our eyes focused on them, uh, you know, their loan situation may be different. They may have the disposable income, but but the challenge is that there's a lot of other brands that are making products that are just as good, if not better than the Lexus RX. And that's the biggest challenge to this product. It does a lot of things really well. It's a it's a perfectly good vehicle. The challenge is that there's so much competition out there. All right. I think it's a perfect time to move on to the Audi Q7 exactly. that Sam's been driving. Because <laughs> we're going from sort of a newer contender that is, or they're, 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 they've been around a long time now. But, uh, you know, when Lexus arrived, it put everybody like Audi on notice. So how's how's the Q7? It's, a, it's also a three-row. It is a three row and it's, it's more, it's a more proper three row. I mean, it's, it's bigger, it's bigger than the RX. So, I mean, it actually works better as a three row than the RX, uh, long, long body does. Um, you know, and actually for what it's worth, this Q7 is the same age, uh, as the RX it can't, you know, this generation came out in 2015 
and yet somehow it doesn't feel quite as old. It, you know, it feels, it feels more contemporary. Um, you know, in, in a lot, a lot about this Q7, you know, even when it came out, um, you know, was, I would say less controversial than the current generation RX. You know, the, the design is more conservative. You know, it was never quite as out there as, as the, as the RX design language. And, you know, so I think that it's, it's held up better. Uh, it did also get a, a refresh, you know, it, for 2020 model year. So, you know, about a year ago, uh, they launched a refresh version. And, you know, there was, you know, minimal exterior changes with that. I think they made some tweaks to the grill and to the lights and things like that. Uh, the more prominent change was on the inside, you know, the whole dashboard infotainment system was replaced. Uh, so they ditched the... Uh, the Audi rotary, <clears throat> excuse me, the rotary MMI controller, uh, and replaced it with a dual touchscreen setup. So it's the same, it's the same configuration that you'll find in the current generation Audi A6, A7, A8, and also in the e-tron, uh, where you've got two two touchscreens. Uh, the upper touchscreen is you know kind of your information screen. That's where you've got nav and interface to. The audio system, the media controls, and then down below the lower touchscreen has uh, some of the climate control stuff, seats, you know, some some of the more in-depth stuff, you know, beyond what's available with physical switches. Uh, that's that's all buried in that lower screen. And you know, we've talked about this a bit before. One of the interesting things that that Audi did with their touchscreen interface is, uh, and I say interesting, not necessarily in a good or bad way. I'll leave it up to you to decide. Um, is you know putting haptic feedback in there uh so you know with most touchscreens you know you just tap on them you know it's a solid piece of glass you know there's no feedback at all from it and it responds with this one you actually have to press a little bit it's not just a tap a tap it won't respond you actually have to press on the touch targets more affirmatively than you you normally would with a touchscreen and then you you do get a haptic feedback you know when it's when it's recognized your signal it's not a hard press uh but you know it it does take a little more pressure than you typically would with a touchscreen um and i'm not sh I, you know i i first experienced it on the e-tron when i drove the e-tron last year i think um and i'm not crazy about it uh you know it, it's I mean, I've gotten used to it, but I'm, it's, it's not my favorite user interface. Uh, it's so funny because I really like that. I like knowing that it's registered my, my action. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like know, that I, feedback. I, you know, I, I think for me, maybe it's a little bit of PTSD from the days when I actually <laughs> used a, 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 black, a BlackBerry um, Storm. <laughs> Um, which, you know, actually had a, a moving touchscreen. You know, it was actually, it was, the screen was actually built on physical switches behind it. And the screen, act, you know, because they wanted to try to recreate, you know, the classic Black, BlackBerry keyboard thing, but with a touchscreen. And it was just horrible. But it was horrible for so many reasons, not not just the, the ridiculous touchscreen. Touchscreens, um, you know, I... We're going to watch as this, they continue to try to find solutions um, and, and new, new, new ways to uh, let us know that, yes, I have registered your request for this function. <laughs> um, 
So I the haptic feedback's not bad. The the problem still is that you have to divert your attention to it. And yeah, you still have to look at the screen to to yeah. hit a touch target. You know, which with a physical control you don't. How are the touch targets? Are they large? Like that's one oh, of the yeah. things that I've actually seen is that they've figured out like we need to actually take stuff off the screen to make the touch targets bigger. Yes. Um, and I think it's Volkswagen. It's maybe it senses your finger and it actually zooms it up as your finger comes in, close. In some cases, yeah, uh, it does yeah. that. But um, so yeah, the you know the interface itself is fine. You know, it's it it's a, it's attractive. You know, the touch targets are large. Um, you know, they've spread things out so you're less likely to hit the wrong thing. So you don't have to be as precise uh, as you as you might have been in the past. Um, so that's a good thing. So they're 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 working through that, and they've, I think they're they're starting to get a handle on that. Um, you know, but I'm I'm not sure that the um, you know that the haptic feedback is necessary is necessary. Um, plus, it's also um, somewhat inconsistent. If you're using Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, um, when you're in those interfaces, there is no haptic feedback. So there, you just tap and it and it responds. So you only get the haptic feedback when you're in the native Audi interface. So there's that inconsistency there, which I think is, um, you know, because I, I kept wanting to, you know, when I went into Android Auto, I kept wanting to press harder than I needed to, and and there was no <laughs> no response from it. You know, I mean, it, it it did what it was supposed to do, but it didn't it didn't move the screen. Uh, so there's that. Um, you know, I think if you're if you're going to do something like the haptic feedback, make it consistent. You know, figure out a way to make it consistent across the board. Uh, but I think than, we're. Oh, I'm sorry. No, just uh, I said you know, just rather than you know keeping it to your native interface. I think that we're finding more and more of that issue, though, and and we'll get into this in the next week with that. What, what when you're interacting with Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, what native features are still available and what goes away? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's an evolution that we're going through as well. But what's interesting to me too is that how much time we continue to spend on the interface, you know, and and rather than the driving dynamics, which I you know when I had the the Q7. I thought that they, it was a little bit uh, almost stodgy, a little heavy. I didn't, you know, even if I put it in dynamic mode, but it's just interesting to me that so much of our time, you know, has to be devoted to these infotainment and interactions because they dominate the the ownership experience. Yeah. Did the Q7 you drove, was it the, the two liter or the three liter? I had the, the three the liter. 40, the 45 TFSI or the 55 TFSI? <laughs> I had the 55. I had the three liter V6. Okay. Did yeah. you have one set of numbers that doesn't make any yeah. sense or another set of numbers that doesn't make any sense? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so you're, you're right. You're right about, you know, the, the driving dynamics. You know, I mean, this is by no means a um, a lightweight vehicle. You know, yeah. the, the, the four-cylinder, you know, the two-liter uh, turbo four-cylinder, that one weighs 4,784 pounds. And <laughs> the, the V6 is almost just shy of 5,100 pounds curb weight. Um, which is a lot of mass to be pulling around. You know, granted, you know the you know the the twin turbo V six three hundred thirty five horsepower, three hundred sixty nine foot pounds of torque. It's you know it's a powerful engine. You know, it's and got... seventy seven hundred pounds of towing capacity. Yeah, and so you know towing towing is well, not an issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know it's there's there's a lot of mass you're moving around. So even in dynamic mode, you know it doesn't 
this doesn't feel like a sport SUV. You know, it, right. you know, it's, it, everything is very deliberate. Um, yeah, I mean, it does it well, you know, it's, it's the body well controlled. I think the, the ride quality is really good. You know, it's good, good damping and everything. Um, steering's a bit on the light side, even in d- dynamic mode, you know, it's not, it's not set up that way. But then again, you know, if you want something like that, you know, there's, they also offer the SQ7, which, you know, is got a more sporting feel to it. Although I think really, if you, if, if you want something like that, you're probably better off, you know, with, um, you know, something like the, the S7 or, you know, the S6, uh, as an alternative, but, you know, it, you know, it does have, you know, a, a more spacious third row. It's not a huge third row. I mean, you know, we're not talking like suburban style seating in the back there, but, but it does have a usable third row, um, and plenty of cargo space. Uh, you know, overall, the size of the vehicle, I think is, is a reasonable size for a three row SUV. It's not overly huge. You know, it's, it's relatively easy to park. Um, and it's, you know, it's generally a very pleasant vehicle to drive. Um, however, it's not an inexpensive vehicle to drive. Uh, you know, the, the one I had, you know, was fairly loaded up. It had, it was the prestige package with the 20 inch wheels, um, run flat tires. Actually, this one had, sorry, had the optional 21 inch wheel package. So the prestige comes with twenties. The one I drove had the 21s, uh, as optional. Um, which even with those, and I think that may have contributed somewhat to that, that kind of heavy feel to it because, you know, it, it didn't really seem to impact the, the ride quality very much, but, you know, having those big wheels does add unsprung mass and just tends, tends to make a vehicle feel less responsive. Um, and bottom line price on this thing came to $75,290, including the, the $995 destination charge. I mean, uh, that's terrible, wait. but it's not that terrible. No, it's, <laughs> it's actually bad. It's, it's not bad. 75,000. Yeah. 75,000. So mine was 86,000. <laughs> you must have, you must have gotten like a, the, the sort of press fleet special, like the prestige plus with the white leather and yeah. like the way nobody would ever spec it, but it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you can also get a GV80 at around this price point as well. The high-end GV80, you know, is in that seventy-five, seventy-six thousand dollar price range, and they're similar in size. And and Genesis, you know, ident- you know, they list the Q7 as one of the competitive set for the GV80, along with the the X5 and a couple of others. So, you know, I think if I was if I had to choose, you know, between this and you know, say a Volvo XC90. I would probably go with this one, I think. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think it's it's a little more my style. But the, you know, comparing this to the GV80, you know, especially the interior, I think, you know, is, is an interesting contrast. You know, the one I had was black with a black interior. And, you know, in general, you know, Audi's always had really well-finished, nice material interiors. But, you know, they haven't felt, uh, I wouldn't, you know, the word I would not use for them is like sumptuous or opulent. You know, they're all, you know, they've, they've all, it's, it's typical German, you know, um, or tr- more traditional German, you know, where it's more, a more restrained look and feel to it, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, it, I wouldn't, and it's not stark, but it's, you know, compared to the GV80 or a Lincoln Aviator, those two vehicles, I think, feel more opulent and feel more, traditional luxury uh, as opposed to, you know, kind of the more 
functional approach that Audi takes uh, with their design. So, you know, it's a matter of, of personal taste, um, you know, with whatever, whatever you like better. Um, I, I'd have I to drive these two back to back, you know, and I'm not sure which one. I, actually, to be honest, I actually probably wouldn't take, for me personally, if I was spending my own money, I wouldn't be buying an SUV, but that's, that's, my, <laughs> that's my personal taste. I, so would, I, I would go for a sedan. Sorry, ahead, I actually Rebecca. did drive them back to back. I drove I drove the Audi Q7 down to New York where I picked up the Genesis GV80. Okay. And so I did kind of drive them back to back. And you're right. I think that the GV80 has a sportiness to it that the Q7 is very stately. Like that's how mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, and it's funny because, you know, my review isn't posted yet. But I think we said almost the exact same thing. The steering and driving dynamics were a bit stiff, almost heavy, even in Audi Select's dynamic drive mode. Like that's exactly what my, what my review says. And but the GV80 had a sportier, a, a more youthful feel to it, almost. You know. And again, we get back to that conversation of competitiveness in this space, uh, there are such good products in it. I did find, you know, I, I like Audi's setup in from the interior standpoint. They've done a nice uh, matte feel wood to it. I don't know if it's officially open pour or not, but um, I think that there's a, a bit of an austerity, but at the same time, you know, a luxury, it's a, it's, a, it's a sporty luxurious feel, I think, in the Q7. It's just that the, the driving dynamics don't necessarily reflect that. I, you know, I had, I had a camel colored, well, it's, I always think of a baseball glove. I think it's that yeah. baseball glove okay. sort of, you know, color to it. Uh, and again, the seats were really well done, very, very comfortable. So, you know, huge sunroof. I loved the enormous sunroof in that. And, but, and it's sort of that, this is, I would say, uh, almost durable, timeless design, like the Q7, like the R, the RX is. I, you know, it's not, it hasn't changed a lot. It hasn't evolved a lot over time. I, but, but, you know, the GB80 is, that thing is sexy. Like, from yeah. an exterior no. standpoint, it's sexy. Yeah, I mean, the, the GB80, you know, the, gen, the new Genesis design language is definitely much more out there, you know, and um, it, it's a it's a very different kind of feel to it. And you know, for what it's worth, that you know, the GV80 is a little more powerful. It's got about forty more horsepower than than the Audi does. Um, you know, and depending on which, you know, I'm just looking at the specs right now um, for you know an all-wheel drive GV80. It's actually about the same weight, you know, depending on the configuration you know, or the trim level, it ranges from 4,900 to 5,100 pounds for a seven passenger, you know, for a three row version. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's almost, uh, you know, almost identical in, in that respect, but they did give it a little bit more. It feels lighter on its feet, I would say. Right. The, but the four-cylinder GB80 was also really, really good because I drove the four-cylinder one way to the brake stop and then the V6 back. And, you know, it's, it was just really good. Again, you get, I, I always caution people, you, you may run into issues with the resale value, but if you lease, then that's not as much of a concern. It is somewhat, but, you know, but... <laughs> And, you know, if you're someone like me that tends to keep vehicles for a long time, you know, if you keep your vehicles right. for seven to 10 years, resale value is not as big an issue. 
Right, but a lot of luxury people don't. Yeah, but they they also tend to lease anyway. You know, I think yeah, exactly. I think for BMW, I think they've said you know like ninety percent of their U.S. quote unquote sales are actually leases. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think and, that's and, um, that mitigates the risk in both owning expensive, complex European luxury vehicles, and also <laughs> at least for the first uh, owner. What, what well, are you saying, right, Dan? But, but well, no, I'm just getting back to that that uh, that brand perception gap, right? Yeah. Um, so Audi, BMW, Mercedes, Volvo—they're all pretty well established. You know what you're going to get. They're premium lines, um, but Genesis is still establishing itself. If you're a lease customer, that sort of removes one of those barriers. Like, well, am I going to get stuck with a lemon? It's, it's sort of a new untested brand. Not saying that any of that is accurate for Genesis, but those are concerns on the, on the buyer level, uh, especially when you're spending $80,000 on a car. Uh, y- even if you have the bucks, you, you are careful with them. Exactly. Um, so leasing, if it's, you know, a sort of parity across, you know, the, the cost from one brand to the other, hey, you know, you got it for three years, two years. And then, you know, if it sucks, okay. Or if it's great, you'll get another, you know, like that, that sort of removes some of that um, uncertainty. So it can be a really good way for them to establish themselves. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's why it's been frustrating to watch Genesis make these really good sedans that haven't done a thing because that's not what people are buying. <laughs> it's like Absolutely. You guys need to get that GV80 out there. Well, and, the, and the dealership model and all those, you know, Genesis has, has, tripped over itself a lot in, in the launch, which is unfortunate because I think the products, as you're absolutely right, the GV80 needed to come out a year ago, but it's here now yeah. and they're doing a lot of good things. And, and I think they'll, I think as the word gets out even more so, um, because, you know, I think that amongst the automotive community, it is known that the GV, the G70, 80, and even the 90 are all really, really good products, but they are sedans. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's absolutely what it is. Like everything that Genesis is making is is really well done. Um, they just need to make sure they're making what customers are buying. Yeah, yep. so they're getting there. So Sam, <laughs> what else about the Q7? Um, not much. I mean, you know, it it's a it's a good luxury three row SUV. I think you know I think I've said all that needs to be said. You know, they in Europe they do offer a version with a plug in hybrid powertrain, which is not available mm. in North America. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think it's, if you're looking for something, you know, in this class, I think it, it's, it's absolutely worth considering, um, you know, and, you know, but also, you know, take a really hard look at that GV80 when they start yeah. showing up in dealers near you, because I think that that is, that's a, a an excellent alternative. Yeah. You know, and like so many other segments now, you know, it, this is, there are a plethora of amazing choices, you know, that it. It would. It's hard to make a really bad choice, and you know it comes down to what do you like the look of, and you know kind of like what do you, what do you like the feel of? You know, drive them and see because they you know there are variations. You know, as we said, you know this one's got a little more stately feel to it than you know than the GV80, which feels a little more sporty. Um, you know, and then you've got things like the Lincoln Aviator, and um, you know other there's other stuff coming to market as well. So you know but you've, you've got lots of options and this is a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, when you're looking driving? to save money, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the, uh, the, the Hyundai venue and um, it's a really good cheap little hatchback. And I know that they're positioning it as an, a crossover or compact SUV or something like fine, 
that's what you need to do to sleep at night. But it's it's just a little hatchback, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's great. Uh, the there's a lot of value in it. Uh, it the one that I drove was the uh, SEL, so it had um, the sunroof and you, you, all the all the accessories and uh, you know. Um, climate control and uh the the hyundai infotainment it's pretty good um and it's it's just it's delightful i was impressed with it um it's not not as refined as maybe some other choices it was about twenty three thousand dollars uh all in which is i think they're again that's that's a really good price for something that's got um the tech that you want and it's got uh a lot of the the ADAS stuff as well, uh, with, um, dynamic cruise control and, um, all of the sort of safety minders and, uh, lane centering and, and that stuff. So it, it had those features are, are moving down market, which is good because they're, they're helpful. Um, it, at the very least sort of forward collision mitigation, forward collision warning has has proven, I think the insurance industry will tell you like, we like that. <laughs> it stops <laughs> us having to pay out. Um, you know, I think it's a, it, we're probably split on how it looks. I it's a little awkward and funky looking uh, in a way that's not as charming as like the Hyundai. I mean the yeah the Kona, um, which I like a lot better. But the Kona gives up some. I think it gives up some rear seat rear seat space yeah. to the venue. Um, I think that and, venue's adorable. <laughs> yeah, well, and you had the you had the denim, right? I did. I had the yeah. denim. Yeah, and the only issue with that was that there's no sunroof with the denim. Oh, see, uh, this is, I remember talking about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was impressed to find a sunroof in the car for twenty three grand. I, yeah. It just uh, felt nice. <laughs> I, I think it is important to point out, though, that I would not buy this vehicle without adding the premium package, which is twenty three fifty. Uh, that's the heated front seats, the LED headlights, the daytime running lights. Yours probably must have had it. Mine had Pro- all of that. Yeah. yeah. Proximity key with push button start, the eight eight inch color touchscreen, blue link connected car, heated outside mirrors and power sunroof. Yeah. So that I- yeah. I just I think I think that from a from a safety standpoint, especially if it's a younger driver, I think that this is really these some of these things are important to add. Yeah, I think that's actually a big factor into how pleasant and and sort of impressive the experience was and because otherwise a it's a nineteen thousand dollar vehicle which is okay um that's a great price but you really i I think you do benefit from those things at the very least the led headlights which are excellent and and that's you know that's something that i think a lot of people overlook but these these had you know great uh they were they were nice and bright they had a great beam pattern um they they had auto high beams and, and stuff. So uh, yeah. again, like you're getting those features that had been the the sort of realm of luxury cars not too long ago, and it's moving back down into everyday cars. And it, they're helpful. It's useful. It's it's one sort of one less thing for, especially like you, you point out, like a new new driver to have to worry about it. It's sort of taking care of some of that stuff for yeah. you. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. This is one of my um, pet peeves is the proximity key, the idea that you can open your car and get safely into your car without having to get to dig out your keys, especially for women at night, you know, or anybody really, but it's a convenience thing. But I do feel very strongly about not having, you know, we're distracted enough on our phones without then having to require to get into the, the vehicle with a key. So that's what this premium package also does. Yeah, man, I think it's it's totally worth it. Um, and it's it's a really good, 
uh, functional vehicle that you're going to use pretty much every aspect of it. You know, you're going to use the cargo space. It's, you're going to put people in it. It's got decent uh, rear seat space, but I, I do think uh, your, your basketball team metaphor, they'd be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but for, for people of, of lesser stature, it's not bad. You know, a parent and, and kids or, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, younger folks. It's okay. Um, yeah, but Jake, you know, Jake was, he and I were playing in it and he's six one and he fit very comfortably in it. Yeah. So in he really, uh, no, he was primarily in the front seat. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the front seat yeah. I think is, is great, but when you get that, that, that backseat legroom. Yeah. Cause um, it's, and it slopes, the roof slopes back down a little bit in the back yeah. too. But yeah. that's, I mean, not every car can be a long wheelbase car, you know, right. <laughs> like, exactly. that is one of the challenges of this, this segment. It's not unique to, uh, the venue. I mean, I think the, the, uh, Toyota CHR and, and Honda HRV are going to also have those. Those, those are even issues. smaller in the back though. This, the CHR I think is. CHR yeah. is. Or, pretty. You're, you're like in a hole. Um, yeah, well, and, and the CHR, it's exaggerated because of the way the, the sheet metal right. is, you know, you're, you're basically, you, you, don't really have much outward visibility from the backseat of the CHR. Yeah. You know, it kind of envelops you in metal and it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I think, I think that, you know, one of the things that I liked about it and it's not that the venue is a throwback, but it, it has all of those uh, high points that made these, these cars. Uh, I, I keep wanting to say like a small hatch because that's really what it is. Um, but it had all of the throwbacks or all of the uh, all of the the high points that made those cars so popular in their time as well. You know, good visibility, uh, easy to load, uh, good good cargo space um, has a lot of a lot of features, a lot of value, uh, and it it drives pretty well. Uh, it it doesn't feel premium. Um, when you, or, or as refined maybe as some other cars in its class. Uh, but it, it's not a, offensive or coarse. It just, um, you know, there's, there's some, some noise from the road. There's some engine note. There's a, a little bit of sort of, you can, you can hear this. Not, it's not like rattles or clunks or anything, but you know, this, you know, the suspension is working on stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it it goes down the road with uh, a little bit of a little bit of verve. Uh, it feels good to drive. It, it it lets you know what's going on. So I was I was impressed. You know, a lot of cars are you know they have some sort of numb steering, or, or you you don't really know what's what's going on with with the, the the chassis when you get into the middle of a turn and stuff. No, this was actually fun to drive and and fling around a little bit. So. It it really did. It, it it warms my heart that we still have cars that are like good basic cars that you can still enjoy yourself without having to buy like the sport model or anything. Um, so it's it's a simple car, and and I think it uh, it delights with simple pleasures. Oh, I like so, that. So let me let me, let me <laughs> ask you a question here. Okay, so twenty three thousand. You know, at, at nineteen thousand, you know, for the base venue, I think it's it's a no brainer. At twenty three thousand for an SEL, you're now encroaching on you know, the price, the price range for the Kona and the Kona SEL starts at 22.2, not including delivery. So 23 roughly with delivery. <clears throat> and, you know, for $23,000 for a Kona SEL versus a venue SEL, which one do you choose? Uh, me personally, I pick the Kona, but 
I don't think that there's anything wrong with the venue. I just like the Kona's style better, and and uh, they both are about as friendly to drive. I don't think that there's a huge gap there. I think so. One th- one question that I have looking at the Hyundai chart of available vehicles, it says the venue has snow mode, but the Kona has all wheel drive. And yeah, I just so, what the... so snow mode is just you know it's a it's a different mode of the traction control and stuff. Yeah, it's just control. a snow mode can help the driver to drive more effectively on slippery roads such as yeah. snowy or muddy. And yeah. then all wheel drive it says just available and doesn't explain it. So right. I'm just curious. I mean, so that the, I think the, could the, be a deciding the, the ven- factor. Yeah, the venue is front wheel drive only. So there's no all wheel okay. drive available in the venue. Okay. Uh, whereas they it is the, tra- the traction control. Yeah. yeah so typically snow control. snow mode. Um, when you don't have all-wheel drive, uh, it starts you off in a higher gear when you're starting from um, a stop so that you limit the torque at the wheels. So okay. it keeps wheel spin down. And it right. probably, these days with electronic throttles, it probably smooths out some of those inputs as, as well. Uh, gives, you know, backs off on the, the how aggressively it gives you, give you throttle opening and stuff. Um, so it can be, it can be helpful. I had snow mode in my S60s that I didn't use all the time. Okay, so, like, I mean, so that could be that could also be for people in snowier climbs. Mm-hmm. That yeah, could I, I, be a deciding factor. Then I, I think either yeah, I think if you want all wheel drive, you're not going to have it. But I think either of these, uh, if you properly equip them with winter tires, I right. I, I didn't, I don't think you're going to have a problem uh, going anywhere with a set of Blizzaks on this thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a front wheel drive vehicle with winter tires is always going to beat an all wheel drive vehicle with all season tires. Absolutely. Every, every, 365 days a year. Yeah. yeah. It's always going uh, And me, like, I, I prefer a rear-wheel drive car with winter tires. <laughs> so do I. Um, so uh, you, learn, you learn how to drive in, in those conditions. But I think, honestly, it, it's just the – that's maybe the biggest differentiator, right, between the, the, the Kona and the, the venue is the all-wheel drive availability and, and the, the sort of – the the attitude that they portray. Yeah. But, and the um, horse, there's a big difference in the horsepower. Too. Yeah. The cone, the cone uh, yeah. The cone, cone is, is much more powerful. Yeah. 147 horsepower with the base two liter in the Kona versus what? 116, I think. 121. 121. For, 2021. For the venue. I mean, I, yeah. I, you had to work it, but <laughs> I, I didn't feel like it was down on power. I did when I was getting on, on like on ramps and stuff. We have, we have, Eisenhower era highways here. So, <laughs> actually, they may be pre Eisenhower era. Um, so there, we have tight on ramps in, in some spots, and so you just you just put the pedal all the way down and you wait and you watch the mirrors <laughs> and you emerge, and it's it's fine because uh, you know it didn't have any problem keeping up or merging or any of those things. Uh, I think we're we're very used to a lot of power. Um, it's it's dad it was fine it was it was plenty it's still got you know 30 plus miles per gallon even though you know it gets caned like that so that's that's the trade-off right do you want big power or do you want decent economy um and and you know you have to plan a little in some situations and it was it's fine um i i think that the i wound up playing with the drive modes a little bit it i wish i was wishing for an economy mode because usually i find that when i put cars in economy mode it 
it backs off a little bit and it just it's it's a smoother driving experience so you don't get the head snapping back and stuff where they're sometimes especially with cars with small engines they make them feel very eager yeah <laughs> like you, you could chill okay you could relax <laughs> i i just want to coast right now that's all <laughs> um so I, I did miss that a little bit sport mode was uh interesting to fiddle with it it basically just holds revs higher and and doesn't um it makes doesn't, more makes more noise yeah it makes it, it, it doesn't really do much else um which is fine i guess if if revving the engine is sporty to you the venue because of its form uh and its price versus its its equipment level it's really really competitive uh you can decide whether you like the way it looks or not and, and you know <laughs> yeah i think it's charming and i think for that price it's really good and again you know it's you have to you have to weigh the pros and cons look but i certainly would look at the kona as well but if that pricing pushes you just a little bit over where you know i certainly remember being in that position where it's like you know what an extra 50 or 75 or 100 dollars a month is, is going to make a difference for me then I, you know, I think that the venue is a really, really good option. And, and I, I, I think it's absolutely charming. I love the way it looks. Yeah. And, you know, um, among these, these low end crossovers, you know, like the, the Nissan kicks, the venue, the CHR, you know, I think the, the venue is probably my favorite of the three. Yeah. I did. I like the Buick Encore as well, the GX in particular. But yeah, again, but they're, it's a in lot a, more they're money. really in a, they're, yeah, they're in a completely right. Different it's a, you start to get into a lot more money, and so at this like twenty three and and lower, I think that this is a really really competitive vehicle. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely think it's it's well positioned. Yeah, yeah, and I see quite a bit of them. I mean, I see quite a, a few Konas as well. Um, I think also, you know, if you're really into a tight spot, I think that the venue is a little bit smaller too. It's taller and it's, it's shorter and taller. Uh, so if you are in fact in an urban environment and, you know, we ever get back to the, uh, uh, the previous time where parking was at a premium, uh, you know, that could be an issue again as well. Yeah. Look, yeah. Looking at the, um, the October sales report from Hyundai, um, through the end of October, they sold 13,500 Konas, uh, versus 59, or sorry, 13,500 venues versus 59,300 wow. Konas. Ooh. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, this, you know, I suspect that this year is somewhat of an anomaly. I think most of the, most of the customers who are really looking right at the entry level of a new car probably weren't buying much this year, you know, just because of what's been going on. Um, you know, whereas those who could afford a little bit more, you know, probably going, you know, still going and getting a Kona. Um, so I think, you know, maybe 2021 will be a better, a better tell as to its real, um, popularity. And you know what, sometimes too, that they play around with production and availability, mm -hmm. you know, they want to push a, a certain vehicle, also but yeah it'll be interesting but i think i think you know for that price point i think it's great yep i agree <laughs> all right let's move on um we got some topics to hit up we've we talked about cars for a while we, these we weekend podcasts we get relaxed <laughs> we just Coffee go in yeah my neighbor's cat surprisingly stopped by right at my oh, deck really? which was why i was distracted for a moment earlier she normally is on the back deck this yeah, she made a surprise appearance there. 
Excellent. Does, do, do the cats have like a, a little, their own coffee clutch? I, they do not. They yeah. have a, what the hell are you doing on my property clutch? <laughs> they stare at each other from both sides of the window. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> And we have we have fat squirrels here now. I've watched them get fat uh, all over the year. And uh, if I send the dog out, he'll be like a missile. He'll sit, yeah. Like sometimes he stands in the window and he's like, I "Want to go play with the furry thing?" Oh my all right. Gosh, uh, awesome. So let's let's talk stuff. Um, on our list, we've got the BMW iX story, which I yikes. <laughs> I tried at first. Because the big story here is is um, the styling was what oh. sort of got everybody talking. Like the the fact that it's probably a really good EV, I think is sort of not what everybody focused on. I this thing is well, and, and to be fair, <laughs> you know when BMW revealed this thing earlier this week, they didn't really get into the the technology side of it very much the focus was on design you know the, when they did the reveal on uh, Wednesday of this week Wednesday morning you know it, the the press release is all about BMW iX design and the iX for those not familiar with it this is the production version of what we saw as the iNext concept a couple of years ago uh, so this is BMW's next EV that they're launching uh, about a year from now uh, or m- middle of next year in Europe and then a few months later in North America. Uh, you know, so it's, it's a SUV, uh, it's, you know, looks like it's to be roughly the same size as an Audi e-tron. So two row, uh, crossover, you know, really more tall wagon than SUV, you know, very similar proportions when you look at it in profile to the e-tron. Um, and you know, they, they had Adrian Van Hundyke their you know, the head of BMW group design talking about this thing and various other people talking about the, the shape and. What do you think, Rebecca? The grill. I'm just going to put the elephant in the room right on center. That grill is atrocious. Yes. Well, that's just the start of it. (laughs) Uh, it, No, to me, it. I. I mean, it is. It's right. It's Bette Midler out of Hocus Pocus, and I dare you to argue with me. (laughs) No, I can see it. yeah, the the rest of it is not good either, though. I, really? There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, you know, usually with design, you, you try to link the elements. It's I, I, I feel like busy design has really taken over, too. Uh, just Even just regular cars, there's lots of lines and strakes and vents, and, and especially at BMW. Uh the the designs are not as clean and uh almost timeless as they had been like this thing like w- what is going on with the lower portion of the the uh the fascia where there's like these just these big black pieces there with like different strakes in them and uh you know you get back to the the uh the C pillar and it's all it's really dumpy looking i i don't know if the <laughs> It's like one of those. Did you stand back and look at it? Is it where is where is Chris Bangle when you need him most? I'm just going to say, right? Bangle was you know Bangle was controversial, but Very controversial. his designs had they had a, a cohesion to them. There were some that I did not like that first Bangle. Yeah, seven absolutely. Series, but, the Bangle butt, well, um, for sure. 
it it matured uh you know we went through the the e90 the e60 all those cars look looked pretty and, good and were uh, clean this is not yeah and then when you get inside <laughs> the seats i hope those seats are product are 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 concept only because the way no, this that is the, a, this is the production design oh my gosh the way that the headrest so the headrest it pushes your your it pushes your head like it, it it prevents whiplash which is fine except that if you talk to any chiropractor they will tell you that you basically like this vehicle doesn't let your head stand free and if you put even the slightest amount of pressure on the back of your head like right above your neck yeah. it engages your neck muscles and yep. when it engages your neck muscles it's why a lot of people have a stiff neck because even the slightest pressure on the back of your head your your neck muscles immediately tense up and so yeah i noticed that's one of the reasons why we actually stopped buying volvos was because yes they they had very excellent comfortable seats that were well designed and they had the whiplash protection but there was no way to back that headrest her head restraint angle off yes. and i don't drive around resting my head on the thing i don't i like i want my my head not to be messed with damn it <laughs> um and even in a lot of media cars we get i will actually pop the headrests out turn them around and put them back in so that they're because a lot of them actually do that they they, they pitch forward yeah they pitch forward and when they pitch forward and my chiropractor is so funny she will rant at me for half an hour especially if she's just had a, a client that's come in and needed to be adjusted because uh she's the, the person's gotten a new car and then when you add that in to with women a lot of times if you have your hair or well fair enough if you have a, a man with a man bun i, I don't but, have you know? <laughs> uh, quite that kind of quaff going on <laughs> but you know, if, I mean, God forbid you have a ponytail in the back because then it just yeah. makes it even worse. So I looked at those seats and was like, what? well, they have a hole for the ponytail, right? Well, they they got- do have a hole for the ponytail, <laughs> but they've got this metal thing. Yeah. Like what is, how is that going to feel? I, I, it, it's I, I, a I think mystery. it's, yeah, it's one of those things I, I, you probably have to sit in them to try them out. Uh, it may be high up enough that it, it doesn't actually mess with you, but I, 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 I don't your, think so. your concern and it, it leads to a weird posture I, I noticed this um like i had the, to get comfortable with those fixed head restraints i had to lean the seat back angle yes. way back and and just it, it engage was a the weird, lumbar engage yeah. the lumbar as much as possible yeah it's just a strange driving posture and so yeah that's that's uh, i mean that's an individual uh buyer kind of thing uh, otherwise the interior is almost the opposite of the exterior on the ix it's it's a lot more clean and um i love the material choice it looks like it's all alcantara <laughs> which yeah. is it's not, it's pretty um and I, I like the minimalism other than the fact that it's going to push everything into a screen I, but you know what they're looking at a close-up of the i think that some of it is alcantara and then some of it looks like almost like a denim feel, actually. Oh. So yeah, so uh, there's a two tone version, and that I'm looking at right now with the blue uh, quilt, and then yeah. there's. And oh so, yeah, I see it almost. Yeah. Yeah, it, it that, does. Like that looks like or... a denim sort of situation. Yeah. Or. Yeah, I love the we're moving into more uh, different cloth choices mm-hmm. that was one of the things i was really impressed with with the nissan rogue was it's just a subtle thing it's it's not even that big a deal but they used a cloth trim yeah uh in the interior that just it was it was 
different and it caught your eye and it, it looked classy. Well, um, that was one of the things I, getting back to the Hyundai venue that we really liked in the, in the denim version of it uh, was the material was really cool. It was, it was very modern feeling and not like a cheap vinyl. You know, I think we're really getting away from that usage, yeah. which is great. So I think there's high quality materials going on, but yeah, this IX is uh it's going to definitely be interesting. I The thing that bothers me too is that we've talked about this before. Like I want an electric vehicle to just be normal. This is what the Kona did so well. You know, it's just, it's just a powertrain option. It's not weird. And this definitely goes towards weird. If, if you're buying an EV, a premium EV, do you need it to be something that stands out so that, People can see that you've bought the thing. Well, but I mean, look, the Audi e-tron, you know, has not been a huge success. I, uh, by, I think there's that's for other reasons than the fact that it's not weird looking. It looks, it looks like a Q6. It's, it's. Would, I think, I think, it, I think it's struggled because its range is not as good yeah. as, as it needs to be to be competitive. Right. So, so the, they should just make up a range number. Nobody's going to use it. <laughs> I think. I mean the. You know, as we, we've talked about before, personality and uh, looks and personality both need to be there, especially in EV. You've got to have the goods uh, to to be competitive. But I think that this IX just, it's sort of, it, it's that throwback idea that you have to have something that looks weird. And I just don't think that's the case. I don't know. You know I, Tes I, Teslas don't look weird. <laughs> This is a cool. Uh, some of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, crappy I think, too. I think the Model Y is. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, yeah, and, uh, you know. I think the the okay, front end, I'll the front that. end, I take that the front end of Tesla's, you know, is not particular. Especially the Model Three and the Model Y is not. No, the Model Three is a Ninja Turtle. Yeah. But I, but I, I take your point though. Like the, the Teslas are, they are a much cleaner, more restrained design. Yes. Um, where this is. There's a lot of gingerbread here. I mean, you know, to, to be fair, you know, I think a lot of what we're seeing in the design here is not necessarily BMW making it weird because it's electric. I think this is this is consistent with the direction that BMW design has been going in the last couple of years where they're just making it weird to be weird. You know, I mean, we've seen these massive grills on the X7, on the, the you know, the refreshed 7 series, on the new 4 series. You know, they have these these humongous, these ridiculous grills. And it's, you know, it's just, it's absurd. You know, so I, I think it wouldn't really matter that it's electric. This is just the direction that BMW has decided to go with their design. Why? it? Why? That grill, how well, did, this is like a Pontiac Aztec. How did anybody say that this was okay? And then when you put a license plate across it, I mean, this is just, this is not okay. No, absolutely not. But uh, all I'm all I'm saying is that, that I think that this is a separate question from the fact that it, this is an electric vehicle. Yes. You know, this, yes, for, this, no, for this sure. Is, Fair enough. This, you know, BMW has lost its way, I think, from a design perspective. You know, and, you know, I mean, the, the, <sighs> the rest, you know, to, you know, the, the sides of the, the thing, the sides of the X, the IX, you know, I'm actually, you know, I think, I think it's, less of an issue than the front end you know it's it's got smoother flanks you know it, it doesn't have some of the sculpting that we've seen on other you know bmw designs over the last five or ten years you know it's it's more flattened out you know and i think they're they're trying to go for an arrow thing here but it's it's less offensive than that face is 
Yeah, yes. it's just weirdness. You know, there's no... Um, I guess the X3 didn't have it either, but there's really no Hoffmeister kink, which is fine. Like, it just was one of those defining BMW things. It just, it looks... It looks heavy. You know, yeah. there's a lot of visual mass, especially towards the, you know, the B and C and... Well, I guess there's D pillars there. Too. Like, it just... I don't know. It, it's not... It's not sort of classically beautiful, but everybody's a critic, so fine. Um, <laughs> I, I'll let them sell their ugly car. <laughs> I actually, the back, I think it's kind of clever. They've done this emphasis where exhaust pipes ordinarily would be, and they've kind of balanced it out. So I like, it looks like there might be, I don't know, there's two little notches, maybe sensors or something there, but they've kind of, they've outlined them in this blue. I'm, I'll, I'll be curious to see what the material is on that. Um, but I, it also kind of makes me wonder in a crash test, in a rear crash test, what is this thing going to look like? It doesn't really have, like, it's all one piece back there. So I think repairs could be very expensive in this because there's no real traditional bumper and Although well, the bumper structure is all underneath, so it's probably yeah. just you know one big piece of plastic, right? There, you know, a cover, and then the structure is is beneath that. So uh, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be any more of a problem than it would be for any other. BMW. Any other, but I think I like I like those that blue kind of emphasis. I think it adds some, it adds dimension to what may ordinarily be just a big piece of black plastic. Yeah. So. I like the tires well, on it. The, you know, I mean, the red one, you, if you look at the photos of the red one, they have a completely different kind of look on that one. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll go to the red one. It, it lacks. Yeah, the, the red blue. one has like black, extra black trim. Um, there's like this this uh, black black band actually that goes from the, the front fascia. There's a large area of, it's almost like gloss black highlight. And then it, it um, wraps around and goes all the way down the sills and then uh, it wraps around to the back and uh, sort of mirrors the front. There's, there's a larger area in the, the rear fascia that is a, a sort of black accent as well. So it, you know, it, it that provides uh, its own sort of motion and um, movement to the design that, you know, it's interesting. And it looking at it, I think that our initial impression is going to be sort of, a little bit of shock and, and surprise and um, the things that I don't like about it, I don't think are going to go away. I think the more we look at it, the more we're going to find elements that show clear forethought um, and will help us understand their des the, the design language they're trying to establish here. It's, it is always controversial when you have such a strong design language and you try to uh, uh, depart from that you know that was the problem that they had with 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 bangles stuff as well initially was they had really gone as far as they could go with the very you know linear kind of classically refined um bmw look that had had been out there since i mean since the neu class really right since the the, the 2002 yeah um and they took that to its logical end uh, and then the that first uh, Bangle Seven was like a like a record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know they they worked on it. They got they got we got used to it. And and now you look at something like a like an E sixty five series, um, and it doesn't it doesn't shock you anymore. You know. And so that's 
that's sort of you know what happens with design you know we, we push it in different places and then it it becomes normal um i don't think I, that grill will ever be normal yeah no and, and well and the grill is like i get that it's their signature and it right now like there's not there's not enough stuff to need cooling in this so it's just basically a big thing for sensors which is f- like fine okay like and it's a bmw except so. there's not even much in the way of sensors in there i mean it's mostly yeah. just yeah. blanked off the sensors you know because this this is going to be bmw's first model with their level three partial automated system you know it's got lidar and the lidar is actually mounted up behind the windshield yeah well that's right because lidar needs that higher sort of line of sight too right it, uh, well not necessarily it depends on oh. what you're doing but uh you know in this particular case they're mounting it up behind the windshield and you know, so none of that stuff is going to be out front, you know, in part, you know, because expensive components like that, you don't necessarily, you want to probably avoid, you know, putting them in the crash zone. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to make them the thing that gets like banged off the, uh, the parking yeah. berm or something. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, go ahead. Speaking of LIDAR, I didn't know if we wanted to get off of this topic oh, yeah, or not, so because... <laughs> Anytime that I cannot look at this vehicle is a good day. <laughs> Did you look at the console inside, though, the way they've uh, yeah, like they turned out Crystal Volvo and um, redesigned the shift quadrant? And I think that the interior is lovely. To your point, I think it's it's simplistic. They they do have a lot of crystal going on. I, I think it's actually stunning. I think the interior is really, really cool. It has it's, a place for your phone right, yeah. right there. It does, it's, it's, it does. it's an yeah, interesting evolution right from what they did with the i3, you know, which, again, was fairly minimalist. And they, right. they, I think they stayed with that, with these pure electric vehicles. And, you know, the iX is, there's not going to be a gas or hybrid version of this. It's electric only. This is right. their new electric platform. This is, you know, the underpinnings of this are also going to be used in the i4 uh, sedan and, and various other stuff. So, uh, you know, the, they're going with this simplified design for their electrics, you know, with just a simple panel that's floating out there, you know, in front of the driver with the instrument cluster in front of you and then a touchscreen off, you know, 14 inch touchscreen off to the side. Um, and yeah, the, the crystal knobs and things like that, I think are interesting. Yeah. I think well, it's- BMW, BMW offers options like that with, you can get the crystal or ceramic knob finishers and, and a lot of their cars now, maybe, maybe not crystal, but they, they offer different options. Cause apparently it, you know, feels more luxurious when you touch <laughs> ceramic than, than metal or plastic. I don't know. You're what such else? the ideal customer for BMW. I'm, I love it. I, I'm such a skeptic. It's like, I, you know, it, it, I, like I look at them like, well, why? Just give this man an old 2002 TII and he'll be, <laughs> I would be all set with a 2002 TII. Oh my goodness. Turbo lag. You can, you can time with a sundial. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I think our next topic is actually about LiDAR, though. Yeah, and, yeah. There's been a, a number of interesting announcements in recent weeks. You know, for for years, you know, everybody's been talking about you know how LiDAR is so insanely expensive. You know, because those those first, you know, when we first saw the, you know, the DARPA Challenge cars and the uh, the early Google vehicles, you know, they had this spinning bucket on the roof, you know, it looked kind of like a, a KFC chicken bucket, <laughs> uh, except, except the spinning bucket cost $80,000. Um, right. and you know, everybody's been working diligently over the last decade to try to take that, that technology. Cause basically what LIDAR is, you know, you, you have a laser that sends out 
there's two kinds basically. You know, most of them use a laser that pulses and measures the time of flight from for it to reflect back off of an object. And you know, you scan around the environment around the vehicle, and you've probably seen these point clouds of uh, you know that the, that's the returns. So every time that light pulse from the laser bounces back and hits the detector. That that generates another point, and you get this 3D map of the world around you. Um, and those early rotating lidar sensors, you know, the lasers were expensive, the detectors were expensive, and the rotating mechanism was expensive. And now what we're starting to see come to market are solid-state lidars that eliminate most, if not all, of the the moving parts. Um, you know, this IX, you know, is going to be the first production application from a company called Innoviz, an Israeli startup. Um, like many of these solid state LIDARs, theirs uses a MEMS array, a microelectromechanical system. So I don't know if you remember the days of um, projection TVs, you know, rear projection TVs. DLP. DLP. mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. The MEMS is basically the same idea as the DLP. So little microscopic, a little microscopic mirror that rotates and, you know, does the scans the take, have the laser that sits still. And then the beam, it uses the mirror to scan the, uh, to steer the beam and scan the environment. Um, you know, there's others that are pure solid state. Like there's a company called Ouster um, that is doing, um, you know, they're, and Ibeo is another one. They're doing pure solid state. And this is actually what's on the iPhone, the new iPhone 12s and the, the iPad Pros that came out earlier this year. Mm -hmm. um, they have a, a solid state LiDAR sensor that uses a different kind of laser um, that is cheaper. It's lower power, but it's cheaper. And there's no beam steering mechanism. They just have, you know, this array of laser emitters that illuminate the area and then the sensors that pick up the reflections. Um, and I was on a call, I was talking last week with, uh, uh, somebody from Ouster, you know, and he was actually highlighting, you know, the fact that, um, Apple is putting these LIDAR sensors, you know, the same type of laser that they're using. It's called a Vixel vertical cavity, something. I can't remember the full thing. Anyway, the Vixel lasers, um, because Apple is now putting tens of millions of these things in iPhones this year that's expected to really start to drive down the cost because suppliers of the components are going to be scaling up. And so now all of a sudden, you know, we're going to have LIDAR sensors that instead of costing $80,000 cost a few hundred dollars or less, you know, in some wow. cases they're expected to be, you know, less than $200. Did you um, say $80,000? Yeah. Those early Velodyne sensors, <laughs> those rooftop rotating sensors, they cost 80 grand. Well, um, I, I mean, there's a there's a, a common sort of uh progression here too it's and it's not just like um the like velodyne realizing that they need to compete and and uh just they it's not like they were randomly charging 80 grand for the thing it was there's a lot of yeah, that's what it cost you know, to build it yeah yeah for sure they electronics they were hand built yeah. yeah and and you need to make a margin so <laughs> even at a you know a ten percent margin, you know it's still just an expensive piece of gear. So, um, and I hope they're making more than a ten percent margin. <laughs> but um, you know, it, to think about uh, 
uh, the best analog I can come up with is like watches. You know, if you go from like a, a mechanical, purely mechanical wristwatch that's just this expensive thing full of really, you know, close craftsmanship and, and technology and, and it's expensive to do. You can only make it so cheap. Uh, and then you go to a digital watch by a $20 Timex mm-hmm. <laughs> that is actually more accurate, super durable, uh, and, and much cheaper to make. Uh, so it's just, that's, that is the march of progress. <laughs> yeah. Well, play out. you know, you, you mentioned, you know, Validine, um, you know, this week they announced a new sensor they call the Velaray H800 and it's targeted at a price point of $500. Yeah. And it, that, you know, that, that's going to be Validine's cheapest sensor yet. You know, and there's others, you know, in that range, you know, various capabilities between 200 and and a thousand dollars you know there's a company called ai that actually has one that incorporates a camera in with the same thing and but you know the big thing about this is with with these sensors these lidar sensors getting down into the hundreds of dollars now it starts starts to become practical you know to actually use these in vehicles and so um elon musk's argument that lidar you know is a fool's errand it's a crutch you know for anybody developing automated driving starts to evaporate because all of a sudden, you know, you're not spending thousands of dollars on these sensors. You're down to hundreds of dollars. And, you know, probably by the middle of the decade, you know, we'll start to see some that are under $100 uh, for some of the flash LiDAR sensors. And that's that's a good thing because that's going to help, you know, one of the things, you know, we're seeing, even though highly automated driving is taking a lot longer to mature than they thought it would a few years ago, what we're seeing is companies actually starting to incorporate LiDAR with their lower level uh, driver assist systems. And so some of these flash LIDARs, you're going to start seeing those showing up with, you know, pedestrian, um, you know, pedestrian detection and automatic emergency braking systems. You know, as you start to get those down to a hundred dollar price point, you're going to see these things in mainstream cars that don't have automated driving capability, but just as a safety thing, because one of the, one of the problems with camera systems is it's hard to measure distance from a from a 2D camera image, but a lidar can measure that distance really, really accurately. Uh, you know, down to presumably you know, less, very, very quickly. Very quickly, and so you know the combination at the of, speed of light. Actually. Yeah, the, <laughs> the the combination of you know lidar and camera. You know, the, the camera can help you classify what's in that image, and the lidar can tell you exactly where it is, how far away it is. So I think, you know, this is going to be really important for improving safety of all vehicles over the, com- over the coming decade. I'm looking forward to LiDAR uh, enabling lots of terrible decisions about when to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when to just sleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that'll be a while. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're so funny, I'm just, just going to climb into the back seat. Car seems to have it under control. Oh, you can, do, you can do that now even without LiDAR in a Tesla, right? Isn't that, yeah. isn't that, what, they, right. Isn't that what they tell us? Right. And you need to spend some time in sunny, sunny, positive California, Dan. Me? Yeah. <laughs> so the last time I was in California, I was in L.A. like right before Christmas. And it was um, it was weird because it like it was Christmas and people had Christmas lights up and stuff. And it was 70 degrees. Yes, it was. I mean, it was it was lovely. We didn't go very far. We were, I was shooting interviews in um, uh, not yeah. Silver Lake, right next to Silver Lake. Um but just sort of like that core like that Irvine area. Yeah. Um, it was, it was nice. It was lovely. Uh, had some, some really good uh, Mexican food. 
So we had one other uh, EV that uh, debuted this week, the uh, the Ford E-Transit, um, which is not as exciting as uh, the iX or the, you know, certainly not as controversial looking as the iX. And not I think as, it's way more exciting, though. <laughs> yeah, well, not, not as exciting to look at, you know, or to, sure. maybe to drive as, you know, the Mustang Mach-E, uh, which uh, will be driving very, very, very soon. But, oh, but they could make a Supervan version of it. Do you remember the Supervans? <laughs> oh, yeah. That would, that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, it, what, I think what's interesting about Ford's approach to electric vehicles, in addition to the Mach-E, you know, there are other two that they've announced so far, and there's going to be more. You know, unlike, you know, GM, you know, doing a $115,000 Hummer super pickup, you know, Ford's actually going after customers that could really – get value out of a, out of a, out of an electric vehicle, you know? And so they're, you know, their next one after the Mach-E is going to be the E-Transit, um, you know, which is their big cargo van, uh, you know, battery electric, you know, 126 mile range, you know, and they said, you know, from their, they've, you know, one of the things Ford does, you know, in their commercial vehicles, you know, they've got like more than 50% of the commercial vehicle market in the U S um, and the transit is the best selling cargo van in the world. Uh, so they, hmm. uh, you know, they, they said, you know, from, from the telematics data that they're able to collect, you know, from their customers that, you know, the average, tr- you know, or the typical daily use of, you know, transit is less than 76 miles. 70, I think 74, but that's very surprising to yeah. me because I, I hesitated when I saw that. I uh, 126. I thought, wow, is that enough? But no, I think that's really, really interesting that they've called that out uh, to say 74 miles. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, and if you think about it, you think about the way these things are used, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, these things, the reason people go for something like a transit is they need that payload capability, you know, to right. carry, you know, whether it's a plumber carrying their tools and their parts or an electrician or a florist, um, you know, you need that space and, and, and weight capability for all the, the racks and the, the toolboxes and all the other stuff they have in the back of these vans. And, you know, batteries are heavy, you know, uh, the 67 kilowatt hour battery that's going in the, the transit, that's probably going to be about, uh, you know, 800, somewhere between eight and 900 pounds. Um, if you wanted to have a 200 mile range in there, now you're looking at a 90 to hundred kilowatt hour battery. That's probably going to be another, you know, up to about 14, 1500 pounds for the, just for the battery. That's yeah, 600 that's pounds of payload that you're taking away that the transit user probably doesn't want to give up. So what they've, right. what they've got is they've got a nice balance here where this e-transit has enough range for most of the use cases uh, for these vans. And it also has pretty close to the same payload capability as the gas en- engine version. So, you know, you're not really sacrificing anything and you're going to, you know, these customers are going to get a lot lower operating costs and, you know, they'll, you know, they'll be able to charge it at night or, where, you know, wherever they are. So I think, I think that, that it's a really smart choice, you know, because they're not selling these to average consumers, you know, they're, right. pe- they're people aren't going to be taking road trips in these things. Yeah. You know, that's, this is for a different customer, and so they're they're really tuning it for the customer that that is using this vehicle. I love this application. I think it's great, and I think they've done a really nice job with it. They've you know it's in three different sizes. I mean, one of the things we've talked about before is 
you know, like, like UPS or FedEx, they often, you know, they all return to the same place at night. And so if they can go for a good portion of the day, and even if they can't, even if they need to stop to charge, you know, the, the high speed charging is, you know, 45 miles in, in 15 minutes is the estimate. That's a coffee break. You yep. know, and and you can recharge for 45 miles. I mean, that's really, some of these numbers are really, really impressive. And so I think this is a fantastic use. It's one of the things that I love about this is it, it normalizes an electric vehicle. It, you can, you know, if, I mean, I know this is going to shock people, but um, I actually do know my FedEx and Amazon delivery guys and UPS <laughs> guys and my mailman. They all stop for snacks in my, in my little outdoor cooler, but you know, talking to them, you can talk to your guy or girl about what is it like to drive this thing? And it's that neighborhood effect, uh, you know, that all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, my, my, you know, local or my, my contractor has shown up in with an electric vehicle and I get a chance to talk to him or her about it. I think that's really cool. More of those conversations need to happen to get, EVs to the point where people don't think they're weird anymore, that they are just an, a powertrain alternative. Well, and Ford has been uh, really aggressive about serving their their fleet and commercial customers. It yes. looks to me like they they stopped at some point and thought to themselves, where are we selling vehicles? Where do we have a strong market? Where do we uh, get repeat customers? And it's definitely in fleets and commercial, and they, they really serve that market very well. And the, the attractiveness to a fleet customer who's turning over their vehicles on a regular basis, so they could even lease these without much of an issue, mm-hmm. um, they, they're going to be less maintenance. You know, you don't have any of the gas engine stuff to maintain. Um, and they estimate so, 40% lower maintenance costs over the life of the vehicle. Right. And... Your fuel cost, yeah. like your fuel cost is at least, I mean, it's half, right? From what I've sort of seen looking at EV, EV charging costs versus, um, you know, fueling at the pump, it's it's about half or less. Yeah. Um, and it also, uh, it shields you from variations in our gas prices. Our gas prices have been pretty low, but they right. can spike up at any time. You don't know, you know, what world events right. could happen. Yeah. So. Electricity prices tend to stay a lot more stable. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah you they, could... they, they, you get a little bit more warning when they go up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you could do stuff like, okay, if you pair this together with, uh, you know, a solar installation, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're becoming very efficient. You do have to invest a little upfront, but, uh, once you make that transition to an EV fleet, you know, uh, a, there's a large base, I think of, of, uh, buyers that will will go for these yeah and, and they're then, quiet you know yeah. they're basically silent i mean there's a lot i love this strategy i think this is fantastic for ford to do this yeah yeah, yeah. and it, like as a consumer it gets the technology out there in the market yeah. um you know it's it's almost like endurance racing every day like it's going to improve evs for all of us yes yeah. exactly and, and, you know jim farley you know he really recognizes the importance of the commercial vehicle market for ford um you know when i interviewed him last year and i'll, I'll include a link you know, to that episode um, uh, in the show notes uh, for this one, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, the importance of commercial vehicles to Ford, you know, broadly, you know, as a whole, as a company, you know, but, you know, with electrification and automated driving, you know, why, you know, why that's a a, tar- a real important target market for, for Ford. And I think, I think it's, it's a really smart move. Yeah. I love this. I think it's fantastic. 
got a couple of uh, quick listener questions. Um, so first one uh, for Dan from Jeff Donsbach. Uh, Dan, you don't have a Ticon 4S this week, do you? One blew by me this morning on I-90 North right around the Walmart exit. I thought it was a Panamera coming up in my rearview mirror at first. I bet it was the only one around. I bet it was the only one around that realized it was an EV, unmistakably a Porsche. Uh, was that you, Dan? I-190 North around Walmart. Okay, so welcome to Lemonster. Um, uh no, that's not me. Unfortunately, I I don't get that many Porsches uh, to drive. Uh, I would love to drive a Taycan 4S though. That's a pretty good time. Yep. I did finally see one here in Greenwich. It's it, somebody has a white one with black rims, uh, oh. and I actually saw it three times in a single day. I was like, oh my gosh, and it's gorgeous. I mean, it's just yeah. absolutely fabulous. But clearly, they were running the same errands that I was for some reason, because <laughs> I, I think I literally <laughs> saw it three times in one day. Maybe it was your doppelganger. Maybe it was know, like, right? are, are you like, are you evil Rebecca? And there's like good Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was really funny. I was like, wait, that's the same car. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's stunning on the road. I mean, I, I went to the event when they were launching it and um, and it's so cool. It's really, it's a great looking vehicle. Yeah. All right. Uh, from Randy Hyman, uh, in your review of the Audi S5, uh, which was I think about three weeks, three or four weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. you uh, speculated that people wouldn't cross shop them with the Kia Stinger. I'm absolutely cross shopping them against the Stinger. Love the look of the S5 hatchback. Uh, but long-term commitments to a German sports sedan make me nervous. Kia seems like it is competitive on paper, but also seems uh, risky due to perceived quality issues over the long run. Would love to hear your take on side-by-side comparison for long-term ownership of each one. I've also I've always purchased and never leased. Uh, maybe these are better leases. Keep up good work. Uh, thank you, Randy. Uh, any thoughts? Well, you know, it's interesting because this question is very timely because we have talked in this episode about leasing and about Hyundai and Kia. And I don't know that there is reliability issues, though, or quality issues with the new Kia Stinger. I I think the Kia's done a really good job of of addressing some of those. I don't know that they ever really had them. I mean, from maybe a long time ago. They they had some early issues. I think if you read some of the... um uh the long-term tests with some of the the magazines the, on the, the stinger yeah okay uh, the, the stinger had some issues but they're they're again they're probably like you say resolved a bit um it's certainly going to be cheaper to fix oh yeah than an audi s5 over the long term <laughs> so that's yeah. something to keep in mind well i mean i think um we've all had experiences with european and german cars um pre- premium ones uh or that, even less premium uh, ones <laughs> right um where yeah ownership wise they they can be expensive and failure prone um the reputation that that kia is is sort of fighting an uphill battle on is that they were just cheap disposable cars and also they had this reputation for for being not good cars or being unreliable um and i don't know that that was ever actually accurate uh it's just people think that cheap cars are crappy cars and they're just cheap cars, you know. They uh, they have always seemed to be decently reliable. There's just been other issues with with an inexpensive car, and and you know, there's only so much neglect any car will will sort of take, and and cheap cars tend to get neglected a lot. Um, but the the Stinger is still going to have that that brand perception to get over, uh, and then the dealer experience. 
And those are two variables. The brand perception is something you can kind of ignore. The dealer experience is going to vary a lot depending on your particular dealer. The dealer and, and the cost to ownership. So if, yeah. you know, I think that if, if Randy typically purchases, I do think that a, a vehicle like the Stinger can rise above the brand perception. Like Subaru is not known for performance cars, but the WRX rises above that. So I think that the Stinger is one of those vehicles that probably will keep its value better than a typical Kia might. Again, just residual value standpoint, maybe my time at KBB makes me very conscious of that. But I, but I think that from the cost of ownership experience, I would certainly look at those two vehicles and you're going to have a very different cost of ownership experience would be my guess. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think, I think, you know, Kia, you know, I wouldn't be too overly concerned about quality issues with Kia. I think, you know, they, if, you know, if you look at their results, you know, in JD power over the last several years, you know, they've really come a long way and, you know, they're, they're at or near the top consistently yeah. every year, uh, both for, you know, their, their long-term durability and uh, their initial quality. Um, you know, most new cars, you know, have some, teething issues early on in the run. And I think that may be, may have been the case with some of the early stingers. Uh, but, you know, generally, you know, it's, you know, it, the, the stuff that's in a stinger is probably going to be cheaper to fix if it does need fixing over the long haul. Um, and I think as long as you, you know, do the, the necessary maintenance and, you know, keep it up, uh, you know, up, do the upkeep. I don't think, I, I wouldn't expect you're going to have any notable problems with a stinger. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you like the Stinger, and I certainly do, it's a great car. Um, you know, it's it's absolutely worth considering. You know, obviously, Kia doesn't have the brand reputation of an Audi. Um, and, you know, that's that's to the positive when it comes to pricing. You know, a Stinger is probably going to cost you a lot less than an S5 Sportback. And, you know, that those long-term things, if you know, the repairs that you do have to make are almost certainly going to be dramatically cheaper from a Kia dealer than they will be from an Audi dealer. Yep, absolutely. Your, your hourly labor rate's likely to be less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least. Yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you're buying new or used. Uh, you know, it's definitely not going to hang on to its residual value like the Audi will. So you, that works in your favor and that you can get a better deal. But it also sort of works against you if you're looking to hang on to any kind of resale value. If you just want to use it up and wear it out, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So just buy for, you know, what's a good deal and what's going to be a, a good car. Um yeah, I, I quite liked the Stinger. I like the G70 better, but I like the Stinger. I haven't driven it. James you haven't, driven, did, you haven't driven, no. driven the Stinger? Oh. No, I have very little access to Kia for some reason hmm. in this neighbor. In this uh, drive shop has the Hyundai account, but they don't have Kia. Yeah, they went over the Navs a few yeah. months ago. Yeah, so talk to them. Cool. Wasn't that, isn't that uh, Pierre? Pierre's Navs, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Give him some good, like, good French cigarettes, like some Galois. <laughs> you can't get them anymore. But, yeah. Exactly. Uh, um, all right. Well, I think that's uh, that's almost two hours. We should stop. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to, like, lunchtime. I'm kind of hungry. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, um, my gosh. This is, this is better than church, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
for a Sunday morning podcast. Um, so thanks everybody for listening. You know where to find us. Uh, we did, we launched a Patreon. We're working on putting all kinds of that stuff together. So there's, there's more coming. Uh, what I would really love to hear is sort of feedback about what, um, kind of extras you might be interested in. Um, like if we were to do a video, you could see my lovely bedhead today, but you can't. So, uh, if that's something that's intriguing, you know, the sort of uncut episodes or something, um, you know, let us know what, what you might be, uh, interested in, in us doing an offering for the Patreon and, and we'll get it underway so that we can, uh, all roll around in filthy lucre. Uh, so yeah, uh, hit us up at, uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media and otherwise we'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. bye.